Um, so um, welcome everybody to today's uh, Digital Masterclass. Um, it's uh, Tuesday 30th of November. Um, it's a beautiful sunny day in Yorkshire, a little bit blustery, but all the snow's gone. Um, did you survive up in Newcastle, Andy? Just, just. Although just. there's a few few people in the office haven't had electricity since Friday. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Um, anyway, it's a, it's, a, it's a lovely day. And so what better subject than to talk about today than the ultimate engagement, owning the digital shelf, a guide to building your digital shelf strategy. So um, I'm uh, Paul Mallett, so Managing Partner at MediaWorks in Leeds. And joining me today, we've got um, Andy Blankensop, who's Creative Director. Morning, everybody. And we've got Akib Hamid, who's a planner also at MediaWorks in Leeds and part of our planning team. It's uh, Akib's uh, debut appearance at a digital masterclass. So, you know, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, it's, uh, you know, when we're, when we're kind of looking at topics to put together, um, you know, we're always trying to kind of talk about things that are kind of, Things that we're talking about with uh, with clients at the moment, things that are being talked about in the industry. Um, you know, sometimes it's it's really related to a point in time. Um, it's fair to say that all the performance guys at MediaWorks have just been um, absolutely smashing it over Black Friday weekend, um, getting some record results from our, our clients. So uh, we've given the performance guys a bit of a, a week off um, just to kind of, they haven't literally got a week off work, but they've got a week off doing masterclasses to um, recuperate. Um, so, yeah, so so when we were kind of thinking of topics for today, we thought we'd um, go exploring into this idea of the digital shelf. And um, I think it's something that, you know, I found myself having a, a lot of conversations with uh, clients and, and prospects. And um, I, th I think, you know, the, where, where this comes from is that a lot of brands and businesses that don't sell direct you know you, you you sell through retailers you sell through you know and that could be selling through people like tesco's um and you know also that you're selling through those retailers both in the online world and the and in the offline world and and trying to think about how how you can really use um digital to, to and and this idea of the digital shelf and um you know i think it's a bit of a funny world if you think about some of the biggest advertisers in the world um you know uh, tech companies aside but the the Procter and gambles the unilevers you know they've, they've got some of the biggest biggest budgets and um and you know they have arguably the least control over their over their shelf you know they they make all these products and then they ship them out and they get sold by other people um and um you know it, and you know it's, it's a really interesting uh, way to look at things is to think about well how 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 can how can those kind of brands um be really kind of um using their digital in a smart way um and i think you know when you think about the digital shelf versus the the real world shelf i mean it's always on it's always available um, you know, people can buy things at any 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 point in time, any any moment of the day, and um, and and yet often a lot of the thinking around those kind of brands is built on campaigns that aren't always on, and you know, the, the you know, and and you kind of think that is is there, is there something that we're missing here about how we could be, um, you know, really thinking about driving sales all the time, um, and um, and uh, you know, and I think really the starting point because when i said i wanted to talk about this and said i want to talk about the digital shelf kind of everyone went what what are you talking about paul is this just some kind of buzz buzzword that you've made up and um and it's not but you know 
So I think, but where we need to start from is really saying, asking the question, so what is the digital shelf? And I keep, I think you're going to, well, you were the first person who said, what, what are you talking about, Paul? So over to you. Yeah, I mean, I usually say that in response to anything that you say, um, but um, specifically about the digital shelf, um, I think uh, it's important to obviously clarify the concept and the terminology before we start talking about it. Um, have I frozen? No, you're back. You did a little bit, but you're back again. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, um, that's cool. Um, yeah, I, I think it's important to clarify what the digital shelf is in the context that we're speaking about it. Um, and assuming I can't phone a friend, I'm going to give you a, a dictionary definition to start off with. But um, if you were to Google it, which I did, um, it says it's the collection of diverse and rapidly evolving digital touch points used by shoppers to engage with brands uh, and discover, research and purchase products. And I think a really important way to actually define this um, is to understand what the digital shelf isn't. Um, so the digital sh shelf isn't just a, uh, a synonym for e-commerce. Your video is frozen, but your audio is keeping going. So I just, I just, I just push through if you can. Oh dear. Oh, I've lost them. Oh dear. oh dear. Just when we were getting going. I was just getting excited to work out what it isn't because I've thought an awful lot about what it is. Um, but I think you, the way we scored with that is like it's actually it's broader than just kind of um, you know you think a shelf right? It's actually somewhere somebody right. transacts. But yes, we're back. Okay, well let's give it another go. So you were talking about what the digital shelf isn't. Yeah, so I think it's important to clarify what it isn't. It's not a, a synonym for e-commerce. It's not your product page on a specific website. It's any way in anyone sort of perceives your brand or product or service um, whether that's on a social post whether that's on a retailer's website whether that's on your website but if it's a digital interaction assume that they're interacting with your digital shelf um, and this shelf isn't static it moves it has context it you know um, it adapts to where the consumer is on their path to purchase they might be in the discovery phase and interacting with your digital shelf they might be in the post purchase phase where they're interacting with your customer service team um, but, but all of those interactions and that entire ecosystem can be considered the digital shelf yeah, and I think that there's that interesting point about the digital shelf is important even in the real world as well. Yeah, uh, I think even more so because um, someone's probably closer to um, conversion in the real world if they're interacting with your digital shelf because at that point it is very specific questions that can I use X product for X purpose or will this shampoo work for my hair type? Um, so. You know, if it's if sales is um, the metric that you're measuring, then, you know, if it's the digital digital shelf being interacted with in a real world store, assume that the person's closer to conversion. Um, but I think, you know, the really important thing which I wanted to discuss today is not actually defining the digital shelf um, because it's still in my head. It's a little bit fluffy, but I think it's the mindset of brand managers. Um, towards the digital space and there's definitely look at this I've got two pens in my hands that's how excited I am about it but um, um, I think it's the um, uh, mindset really and how we treat the digital um, shelf as brand managers as performance marketing managers as marketing managers as data analysts um, whichever team you sit within um, 
how are you analyzing the customer journey and mapping that customer experience um that's what i sort of wanted to talk about because i think there's still some legacy stuff going on where people invest heavily in their retail presence and if it's product it's like how many are front facing what do the end caps look like blah blah blah. and all of that consideration goes into the physical space and then when it comes to the digital shelf it's kind of like oh well we don't have any control over that so we just give the information to the retailers and let them do their thing. Um, yeah. But we're yeah, against great. that. And, and, and I think, you know, that, um, and just before we get into a bit more unpacking that bit, um, I think, I think just, just some, some of that stuff about, um, how, you know, how, how people behave, um, you, you know, there's kind of research, you know, so 60% of people are using their phone while browsing in a bricks and mortar store, um, you know, and, um, 69% of people have said they'd rather re- read a review on their phone than ask a sales assistant for help. And, you know, we've all been there and, you know, if that, if that rings true for you, then, you know, considering the role of the digital shelf when you're when you're in stories um is really vital and uh, you know i kind of think um you know probably 100 percent of purchases i make i look up first maybe not socks from marks and spencers but you know um and i think i think the other thing to just to kind of help get your head around it is is if you kind of think back to once upon a time there was a a world where brands really only had tv ads and then you had your packaging and those were the things that you were in control of and um you know and and even back then no one read the packaging you need to just go in and pick up a tin of beans and that was it and i think um it was very interesting when innocent drinks came along and they suddenly made packaging fun and informative um and people actually would look forward to the what they'd done differently across different products and and when you when you really think about it that was the kind of birth of a lot of this digital shelf thinking was to say uh do you know what in a, in a world where you know products are getting more complex ingredients might be things that you've never heard of um you might be going into markets like you know or it might be dietary things like being a vegan or whatever where people need to understand more and they and and actually they're more savvy about not having the wall pulled over their eyes and they want to question what they're buying and what they're consuming um and you know that you put all that together and you go like yeah i can now get this idea that that in between the TV ad and the product, there is this digital shelf that is informing me about the product. Yeah, I think for me, Paul, and I was thinking about it, it's like, I keep starting off very well, it's not just another fancy term for an e-commerce. It's any it's any any digital touch point that can kind of aid a transaction or goal if it supports it in any way, shape or form, whether it be very early on during the consideration phase or even right, I think you touched on it, like post-purchase. So I think, you know, for these brand managers, et cetera, who's kind of, who who do use a lot of retailers it's actually thinking about well where are all of the other touch points that you can control where does it fit into that journey because like purchases aren't linear anymore we know that we spend you know many a masterclass telling people that actually people shop and search in different ways very personalized towards them um, and actually so mapping your digital shelf and working out what each touch point is is really important because There'll be, there'll be things that you probably hadn't thought about where actually you need to regain control of it and get a hold of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Akib, have we, have we still got you? Or are you just in no, a I'm very... Still, yeah. okay. My image might be frozen, but I'm still tuned in. I'm, I'm plugged in. Okay, <laughs> cool. So um, let's talk a bit more about then how um, you go from the idea of a digital shelf into, um, you know, the the the, the kind of translating that into an ecosystem now i know akub you'd say to me 
they're completely different things. So, so let's just talk about, um, you, you know, what, 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 what we mean by the ecosystem and, and how that can, how that can start to build around what we're doing. Yeah. I, I mean, I think digital shelf personally is a bit of a clunky term and that's why I think um, when you put that alongside ecosystem, uh, immediately you start to then perceive the digital shelf as being one static thing online whether that's a product page or whatever and you start to think of the ecosystem as the bigger picture and the digital shelf sort of sitting within that um, but I think you have to think of the digital shelf as the ecosystem because almost all of our purchasing is digitally aided in one form or, or another um, and like I've got some stats here of 86% of today's shoppers rely on digital information whilst shopping. Um, and, you know, we we can talk about how everything's going online until the cows come home. But, um, you know, that's happening. That's a given. It's not going to that, that trend isn't going to suddenly go in the opposite direction. Uh, I think for us, it's a case of trying to understand how we can influence those um, different digital touch points within that ecosystem. Um yeah. Yeah. Cool. And um, and 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 I think you know, um, like you say, things like the 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 people looking for reviews, and ninety percent of people looking for reviews before they kind of make a lot of purchases. Um, uh, it, it, it's um, I I I think I, I you know I, I do get what you're saying about the the digital shelf maybe is a bit of a you know bit clunky because almost it's like the shelf is just where you put your product whereas what we're talking about is the things that influence you pre-purchase and the things that influence you um, that that can happen to you post-purchase as well so you know yeah. people don't leave reviews until they bought products so the, this this idea of the digital shelf is something that that kind of reaches out pre-purchase and it's it's there when you make the purchase and then it goes post-purchase as well um and you know can't, can't underestimate the you know the the stats coming out um um one that you found earlier blanks uh you know 58 percent of us sales um are, are, are digitally influenced now and you know that's a phenomenal number yeah it, it, and, I, and i think that is that can be in lots of different ways and lots of different channels i think a lot of the i think the, the growth of that is obviously kind of i suppose digital behavior is increasing but i think just the number of channels that brands and you know people who are running products or services are able to use you know what i mean i think that the the network of different parts of the ecosystem whether it's social whether it's earned channels whether it's owned or whether using kind of third-party distributors you know amazon's ebay's i think just the fact that actually people are spending more time online and the channels that you can use to shop are kind of increasing mobile devices demand it's all kind of moving in that direction as as kind of i keep said there like this digital shift isn't going away we can talk about it till the cows come home but i think it's about actually how do you then manage all of these touch points in an effective way paul like how do you actually make the most of it because it yeah. is complex and it is tricky so so that kind of moves on to our kind of next bit is about, um, you know, what the, what what the power is of having a joined up ecosystem that's kind of centred around your digital shelf, and um, you know, the, there's kind of three. I do. Do you want to cover off those principles, Banks? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so. The, the three principles that we kind of thought would explore the first one is like engage shoppers everywhere. So ensure that you have a strategy uh, in place that means that you are literally engaging shoppers everywhere. And that, for me, kind of goes 
in two ways. First of all, it's across all the stages of the funnel. So we know that people are using digital channels to research, discover, kind of, I suppose, explore, compare, convert, um, and then actually purchase, and then right way through to actually like use. How do they actually use a product, engage with it, put it into play? So I think having a strategy to make sure that your product or uh, I suppose content around your product is available throughout that full funnel is is essential. I think you know the same kind of um, channels and content can be used. Paul, we were saying before to to activate and acquire new customers, as well as actually then aid with how they use your product. And then kind of then you build reviews, you build kind of loyalty, uh, word of mouth, sharing content. So actually having a full funnel strategy is essential. Number two, <laughs> execute strategies fast. So I think actually, you know, uh, it's all about kind of how you can, how quickly you can execute a change of a strategy or implement a new strategy. And I think for me, a lot of that is kind of the technology you use to then almost manage that digital shelf. You know, managing content is, is really difficult. You know, how do you build an ecosystem or infrastructure that allows you to manage all of your content, your products, to deploy it effectively across channels? Um, to measure and report across channel, I think is really, really important. So how do you actually have a strategy that connects all of the different touch points to help inform your strategies moving forward? Um, but I think actually being able to deploy products and manage content fast and effectively is, is really, really important. Um, but I think also looking at how digital can enable people to, to purchase kind of fast and efficiently. So are we, you know, are we using the latest technology to allow people to purchase using Apple Pays, yeah. using kind of, you know, and even different ways to pay. You've got these kind of clear pays and, and cloners, et cetera, which you are just making products more available, I think. And actually the pays to purchase is just phenomenal. Yeah. And I think, and and then the last one um, that I think is really important for, and, you know, again, it's it's um, it, it goes with the territory of being a, a kind of brand that doesn't sell direct has been a great partner to your retailers and um you know often in 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 in, co- in companies that <clears throat> the team that deal with the retailers might be separate from the team that deal with the the marketing and you know getting the shopper team and the marketing team close together is is really vital um because the the importance of putting great content and giving great content to your retailers i mean the the easy example is when you look at amazon because you're in control of your own content and making um you know having brilliant product shots having explainer videos making the most of the enhanced uh, you know content listings that you can get on there um that's on you and the, and the better that you make that the better you will do but actually you know increasingly across uh, like the big grocers people like boots you know a bit, have an active dialogue with with the retailers about how you can support them with better content um you, you know and and because all of this comes down to having content across everywhere that you can and it being consistent and it being a very high quality why, why would you have one part of your digital shelf where suddenly it all looks a bit shoddy and you can't and you don't get the full experience a million percent and paul if that's where the end conversion is as you say you know you might have you may do a fantastic job as a brand you might kind of have you know, strategies working nicely at the top of the funnel. But if your conversion point is on a on a retailer's kind of website where actually you send them back into the wild, where, it, you know, you might be back against competitors, there might be other products being, you know, put underneath their nose, then actually your content has to be the best. You know, you have to position your product there better than everybody else. And that is, yeah. as you say, about making it easy for retailers to work with you. Yeah. So, so, so we... 
we can kind of go from that point to then saying, okay, well, you know, we need to map out our um, ecosystem. Akib, do you want to talk a little bit about how you take kind of consumer experience, experience mapping and and make you know make sure you've got the right bits in your ecosystem? So, so I mean, I mean, essentially, there's a, a lot of different techniques you can use to get to an ecosystem. Um, some of which is um, you, it's common sense. Um, some of which is using data to say um, you know we use a lot of YouGov data to kind of evidence where consumers are, um, but also go through a process of consumer experience mapping where where you're mapping out the whole process of how you become aware how you investigate, how you purchase and how you experience a product, um, then, you know, helps you map out all the different opportunities for 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 kind of touch points. Um, and, and then you, you kind of put that together into an ecosystem. So you've got a kind of set of building blocks, which will inevitably be things like your brand website, your brand socials, you'll have ratings and reviews, you'll have retail presence, and you'll have certain cores of um, things like search visibility, you might have CRM, um, and you might have elements of kind of always on paid media which we would call the building blocks and then you know that that comes together to say okay this is our ecosystem and um i think what gets really interesting about the digital shelf is traditional kind of marketing and even traditional digital marketing if there's such a thing as um, often focused on kind of what you know what's the reach that we're getting what's the frequency we're getting and the the reason why um kind of brands that don't sell direct or the brands that sell through you know fmcg brands is because they pretty much have to advertise constantly pretty much anybody any market will buy that anybody will buy those products um and therefore it's just very important to know that you're hitting the maximum number of people at the right time now when you look at performance marketing, it's completely different because it's then about are you optimizing the audiences that you're talking to at that particular time? And then you're very obsessed about the 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 rate that you're converting people from one point in the funnel to the next point in the funnel. And I think what gets interesting with when we look at ecosystems is then rather than focusing on the building blocks, the building blocks are going to be important. You've got to have a great website, but focus on the link link between your website and the retailer focus on the link between your social and your website or the social and your on your retailer so um and and and, you know i guess that's the point of building of drawing an ecosystem is it's not um you know you 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 show how things are linked together and i think an important thing is to focus on the links not just on the on the blocks themselves so i guess that kind of moves on to the next point which is then if we are focusing our links um what are good examples of of how we can um, make the most of those links? Um, so I think, as you said, Paul, it's about once you map that ecosystem. It's the, the the idea of that mapping that journey through is where are the handoffs, where are the where are the where are the the linking opportunities, I suppose. So, for example, we've got a prominent money off incentive of the brand website, which then drives it into a CRM to get an instant voucher. So actually. You know, we might see that as just how do we drive a transaction, actually. And it's we just get somebody onto the brand website, offer the, the instant voucher, which will give them that incentive to purchase. But actually, then when we start thinking, well, if we then introduce a CRM system and we can capture the activity, we can then start to look at how what the data is telling us, who's purchasing, you know, what, what where did we where did we where did we find that person? What did they then go on to purchase after that initial sale? And you can start to build up kind of a bit of intelligence and insight, which we can then use for a further activation against that customer. So actually, what we don't ever, you will arguably, no, actually, what we don't ever want is is an end point. We don't ever want to see an end to a customer journey. What we think about is when somebody gets to that 
primary goal. What's our plan for them next? How do we then reactivate them as a customer? And that's why I know, Paul, when you kind of introduced me to Digital Shelf yesterday, it was actually that misconception that it stops when somebody converts. Well, it doesn't. We need that continuation as to how do we keep that customer engaged? What do we then use them for in, in the future? Because it's obviously future sales, but actually how can we use the makeup of their journey to inform acquisition? And then it goes back to the beginning. So that ecosystem is yeah. kind of, I suppose, an, an ever-going flow of people through your ecosystem where it's all charging and funneling the next part of the process. Yeah. I think another another good example is um, when... If you imagine someone in the real world in in a store, and you know brands have tried this, but you know they're, they're being half-hearted about it. But you know, use your um, on-shelf packaging, use your shelf wobblers, and all these kind of things that you can have as um, you know in-store stuff to 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 put you know put a QR code on it. Everybody loves QR codes now um, that you can deliver pre-purchased content. So. Um, you know, if if you're about to buy, you, you know, you, you're looking to make a lovely dinner for the weekend, and you, you know, you're kind of a bit humming and airing and you know, use the opportunity to give a consumer a recipe that they can go, ah, oh, yeah, great, and also, you know, you know, let, let them know what else they need to buy, um, very simply to then put that recipe together. So, but you know, food's a good example, but also, you know. You know, we do a lot of work in the world of kind of consumer healthcare, health and beauty. You know, people arrive at the fixture and they 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 thought they knew what shampoo they needed, but then they forget in the face of bottles and bottles of brands and brands and you know. So, what can you do to aid people to kind of make that purchase? And you know, it, it, no, it's not overkill, and no, it's not a disruptive thing. It's what people people would welcome that because you're you're, you're helping them to. Uh, you're helping a savvy consumer to make the make the right purchase. And the, the last one as well, I, I don't, is kind of I suppose how do we then actually use like the the unpack stuff as you mentioned there. Paul. I think that's really interesting. Of like actually how can how can you take people in an offline world and drive them onto digital channels to kind of add additional value to to kind of bring them back into the digital ecosystem? Whether that's kind of you know an incentive to leave a review. QR code, as you said, pushing people on how to kind of use the product. And actually, I think then you've got to ask yourself that question right now. You've got them back in the ecosystem. Then what? Then how do you move them through it? And what's that journey? Because it might be very late on. You know, it's I, I always get, I suppose, not frustrated, but we always just think about acquisition. But actually, there's different parts of the journey where you can reintroduce people um, and, and build more brand loyalty, kind of be in front of your customer, build that kind of know mental availability of your brand so when they do come to the shelf the next time they've got 35 different options they remember that enriched experience that you provided yeah and i, I kind of really like the idea of um and whether it's a qr code but you know every, every product you buy you should be able to zap the the packaging somewhere and it kind of takes you to a post-purchase hub because you know, everybody needs a, a bit more information about how to use a product properly. Um, yeah, it, it'd be great to le- encourage people to leave ratings and reviews. You know, I always talk about Sonos. Sonos post-purchase is just incredible. You know, they get you to, they, they check that everything's worked. They check that it's you plugged in, that you've got everything working. And then they, they give you a few days and they say, can you now leave us a review? And they've got a structured review system. And, you know, in order to do all that, you've, get, you've then registered your product, you've Given them your um, email address, and then they're they're marketing to you and carry on. You're in a beta program, blah blah blah. Now that's Sonos, fine. But 
you know, it, it, you know, we we talk about you know brands have got um, you know invest a lot of money into social and social should be active communities. Well, the best time to encourage someone to follow your social is kind of after they've bought the product, not before. You know, yeah. but yeah, we want them to come and look at it before. But you know, a post purchase hub. Make sure you're using it properly. Leave us a review. Join our socials. Why not leave your email address? Because next time we've got a new product coming out, you'll be first to hear about it and we'll give you a discount. You know, it's a, it's kind of a no-brainer. Yet we we design our, we, and that I think is about this digital shelf thinking because otherwise our brand websites are just catch-alls and we're kind of saying to the consumer, you go figure. Yeah, I think I think I've mentioned this before, Paul. I've been on here when we did a bit of work with them. I think it was Maxi Muscle, and you know they came up with a full content strategy, which was arguably like pre-sale. You know, what exercises can you be doing? What are the nutritional values of X, which will help you achieve these goals? And it drove that purchase. And actually, you know, on the on the product pages, the digital shelf of product page, it was transactional, but also it was a case of actually, if you are looking to achieve this goal, here are seven exercises that you might just help you along the way. And then exactly. actually, you think, well, when they've made that purchase. Use that content again. Remember those seven exercises? Here's the seven exercises. Best to look on your bloody, bloody blah. Have you thought about a recovery powder? Take them back into the ecosystem, educate yeah. around a new product, tell them how it works. So that's just, for, for me, an example of actually how really good quality content can kind of play a part in all of these different bits of the funnel to drive kind of increased customer engagement, sales, brand loyalty yeah. a lot. And that's just a yeah. good content strategy. Yeah. Akib, talk about um, what you were saying to me about the, then how social commerce and the role of social media and, you know, that that as a kind of future evolution. Yeah. Um, so I think we're already probably about five years behind looking at the digital shelf. And this thing is moving so quick. And the real players who are kind of focusing on what do future retail and shopping experiences look like are the social media giants, whether that's Facebook or whether that's um, any of the other players in that space. Um, because what they almost they've made almost like a statement of intent that we plan to create a digital ecosystem which is owned by us and you don't leave. So you engage with, you talk to your relatives and friends through these uh, platforms, you shop on these platforms, you do, it's a parallel universe and you stay within their digital ecosystem. So brands have to kind of be savvy to that. And I, and I think there's opportunities in that because you, we know the metaverse isn't going to be something where you just, they've taken a physical store, replicated it into virtual. Uh, you know, the way I see that playing is if you're shopping for a car five or 10 years from now, you're not going to just put on a VR headset and be shown a static showroom. If it's a performance car, you're going to pick your racetrack and where you want to actually experience the car. If you're buying a £1,500 North Face um, coat or jacket, you want an Arctic experience with one of their branded ambassadors who's talking about the technical and product quality, you know, um, stuff whilst you're on this crazy arctic um, experience like that's the future of retail and that's what we need to be sort of aspiring and um trying to uh have a part of have a slice of that cake um, and i love that like i love thing. that i love that i've got this vision of paul malik with his new sonas headphones on just being moved to a festival <laughs> and enjoying his music jamming out i think that's absolutely amazing because that is the future isn't it that's what people are trying to create those experience and that yeah. is an enriched experience 
Yeah. And and although the digital shelf sounds mundane, this is the starting point of building towards that. I think, you know, and it has to start with an acceptance that yeah. our content is our virtual packaging. You know, for, forget about the packaging on the shelf. It's all this other stuff that's wrapped around it. And like Akib's uh, view of the future where, I mean, what, what will even this shelf look like? Will you will you do your shopping by going to a virtual supermarket? Sounds a bit dull. You're not going to just translate that into the the metaverse, are you? How you know it's going to work in a different way. So it's it's getting our thinking right because Akib says five years. You know it's going to it's 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 starting already. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so. Um, just to finish off and just to kind of bring us back down to earth a little bit, because it's all very well saying all this, but actually, you know, there's reasons why this doesn't happen and, you know, it, it, it's difficult to do. And um, I think, you know, so we kind of put together a bit of a list of what we think are the kind of common challenges to this. And, um, you know, I think one of the first ones is um, this does require a bit of, forward thinking it requires some experiment experimentation it definitely requires agility you know you need to jump on things you need to try them you need to you, you know and, and actually your ability to be agile and trial things relies on you know having great assets having great content having having all that in place already that you you've got a content publishing mindset you've got your socials going you're thinking about communities and ratings and reviews and all these kind of things it's all ready to go and then you can you can jump into a new channel and whether that's a new way paying a new retailer um a virtual world who knows um i think the other part of this is it's always on it doesn't fit into that traditional campaign thinking this this is a system that is constantly on and you know and that's more like your performance marketing thinking but you're taking that and bringing it into you know the right. more yeah. um you know fmcg brand thinking okay people are going to say something yeah no i totally agree with that i think it's that always on sort of thinking is one of the major um, challenges because historically brand th teams do gravitate towards campaign style thinking yeah 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 um and uh, also related to that is it kind of probably needs to focus on less traditional metrics so we were talking i was saying about you know things like reach and frequency whereas you're looking at the the conversion rates you're looking at the 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 amount of friction that you've got in your ecosystem and just trying to remove it all so that people are finding your product they're learning about it they're buying you know they're researching it they're reading what other people have said and then they're going on to buy it all very very you know in a frictionless world and that means that you have to look at your your conversion rates and yes the number of people you're talking to is important but actually that yeah you kind of it's equally important to look at the, that that kind of level of friction I think. For most people at the moment, this spans a lot of different agency partners and tech and platforms and things like that. So it requires um, a bit of management and a bit of integration. Um, and, you know, that, that's where, you know, people like ourselves come in because we're kind of used to looking at the world in this way. But, I mean, for a client, you know, it's it could, that can require some, you know, education and training and uh, new ways of looking at things. Um, I think the bit about tech is an interesting one. Um, Blanks, you were talking about the amount of tech that's needed and how that could be a bit of a headache. Yeah, I think, you know, when you, you know, arguably you might be on legacy systems, you might be, you know, but and, and trying to get kind of 
content shared across multiple channels can be quite tricky, you know, but there's lots of kind of new tech out there where, you know, you've got APIs, let's just say it's talking about product availability on in retailers, websites, or kind of, I suppose, bricks and mortar stores. And actually, you know, some of these kind of clever systems that have been out there that can connect all of the touch points, whether it's your Amazon store sharing stock with your website, sharing stock with your eBay store, as well as retailers and a third party, you know, we're going to have to look at using some really modern tech in order to do that, you know, to use APIs, essentially, coming out of these platforms like your Facebooks, your Instagrams, all of that needs to be connected. And actually, you know, the reporting of that then becomes quite tricky. And the only way to do that is using some of these kind of these platforms that have headless technology, APIs that allow you to kind of communicate in real time to connect this. I think, you know, that that's just on, let's just say, product availability and managing stock. But then you've got content managing content in dams and being able to empower retailers to access your content in line with your standards because the quality of that content has to be kind of well kept and always e- always always easily and readily available for them yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's a really interesting point about the tech because that's probably from our experience more of a problem for established brands um because they're working with legacy systems whereas digital focused um startups you know they'll have digital um warehouses in the cloud from the offset that's sort of powering and collating and consolidating all of that data in one place. Um, whereas um, established players are always trying to layer that technology um, within existing systems. Million percent. And you know, the first that's when you have to start looking at middleware. That's going to operate essentially as a as a platform between your old systems and you know future thinking kind of retailers that want you to plug in and get going immediately. And look, Paul, whenever we talk to you know big organizations, that doesn't happen overnight. You know, there's definitely a, a strategy in four, five years time where we want to get to. But I, I think you've got to make that, got to create that roadmap, you know, look at your existing ecosystem, look at where the, the immediate benefit is and just break that down into what what, what does yeah. next year look like? What is yeah. the year um, after? Yeah, and and you know, at one end you've probably got some of the most expensive um, platforms in in the world, and you've got very you know complex things like Adobe Experience Manager and, and that kind of thing. But you know, I think I think we'd you know we'd encourage um, you know regardless of where your business is at, you can implement these things in 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 stages, and you know, one tool doing one thing, one tool doing another thing, because I think that the the important bit then is, as Blank said being able to extract the data through APIs and bring it into a dashboard. And, um, you know, dashboards are not as complicated as they used to be to set up. Um, you know, we build them all the time. And, you know, once you've got your data being pulled through, then you can start to analyse that data and then you can start to do some very clever things with how you optimise that, learn from it and action the next things. And I think, um, so, I, th- I think... You know, that, that's that been quite an interesting chat. I know we had a few technical glitches and we're kind of swimming our way through this one ourselves at the moment. But um, I, I, I think world. it's quite interesting. You are? It's this digital world. It just doesn't oh, no, seem it's terrible. to um, But, you know, I think going from the point of view of um, saying uh, at the start of our session, kind of going, what even is this digital shelf? And it's a bit fluffy. I think we've arrived at a point where you can go, do you know what it is absolutely the future this kind of thinking it probably feels a bit mundane at the moment but this yeah. is about we're, we're kind of putting down the foundations we're but we're putting the building blocks in place we're we're learning uh the ways to think um you know one of the most important one of those is probably being agile um that is going to pave the way for that future um and um 
I quite like a future where you go and try on a North Face jacket by going on an Arctic VR experience. Sounds good. Paul, well, to be fair, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the chat because I think when you when you when you position something like that, it, it broadens your thinking. It encourages you to think like a bit broader than you probably already are. And actually, there's probably things on your digital shelf that you hadn't considered before. And actually, yeah. just take a minute to step back and see how it works is is pretty exciting to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I hope um, I hope um, everybody uh, that's uh, coming along uh, today enjoys that and people listening on the podcast as well. And um, yeah, if you want to know more and talk to, um, you know, Akib to, you know, help you overcome your uh, hesitancy about the digital shelf and, uh, you know, and the rest of the team here, then, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So thanks very much, everyone, for attending today. Thanks, um, Akib and Blanks. No problem. Thank and, you. Um, Enjoy and that. Tu- and tune in next week for the Christmas special. Bye.